our last our last class together for this year. Um, our, we will be learning in the schos of our four shleima for Harav Yosef Yisak Ben Sima Chasia, Masha Bas Batsheva, and Asher Ben Avraham. And I also want to mention that as per our conversation last week, our next class will be on Som Gedalia. That's Gimel Tishrei, the 28th of September at 10 a.m. We're going to keep the time, um, but we obviously are not going to be learning on Monday morning. And then um, after Shabbos Shuvah, we'll go back to um, Monday. So that will be October 3rd. Um, but we will, again, not learn together on October 10th, which is the first day of Sukkot. So we'll, that will be the 12th. And then one more time on the 19th of October, which will be Matzei Simchas Torah. And if nothing else, we will deserve to just sit down and learn. Um, this is a, a really very, very beautiful sicha, very rich sicha, and um, just a very special way to, to finish the year. So it's Parshas Nitzavim, and um, the Rebbe begins with the last pasuk in the Parsha. Uh, so if you have a chumash and you, and you want to look at the pasuk, that's that's always uh, enriching. So the pasuk begins, I invoke as witnesses against you this day, heaven and earth, life and death, I have placed before you, what have I placed before you? Habracha v'haklala, blessing and curse. Uvacharta v'chayim. You should choose life. And the Rebbe is going to look at the Rashi on these words, uvacharta v'chayim. So we're going into the Sicha, Si'if Aleph. V'siyum parshasenu, at the very end of our parsha, like I said, this is the very last pasuk in the parsha, Ksiv. I put life and death before you, and you should choose life. In order that you and your children shall live. And in Rashi's parish on the words, you should choose life. Rashi says three things. So if you have um, the Rashi in front of you, you look at the Rashi, the Rebbe brings it down in the Sicha. First, under the words, I instruct you, that you should select the portion of life. Then Rashi says, Rashi gives an analogy like a son that's, uh, I'm sorry, like a person that says to his child, his son, select for yourself the nicest or the best or the most excellent portion in my estate. And not only he tells him to select the best portion, he, he, he places him, he guides him to the excellent portion, and he says to him, choose this for yourself. And then thirdly, Rashi um, 
seems to bring a proof, a raya, a proof of this concept. And he brings down a pasuk from Tehillim. And he says, concerning this idea, David Amelch says in Tehillim, Hashem minas chalki, Hashem is my allotted portion, the and my drinking cup. Ata you have upheld my lot. And Rashi comments, Hinachta Yodi, Al Girl you have placed my hand on the excellent portion. Laimar as if to say, Kachlach, take this for yourself. Okay, so Ad Khan Lashen Rashi, the Rebbe now has quoted what Rashi is mefarish on these words, Uvacharta Bachayim. Bitsarach Lahavan. And the Rebbe says we have to understand. Mahu Hakushi Meikara. What is the foundational question? What's the question in the first place? Betevas Uvacharta Bachayim, in the simple words, and you should choose life. It would seem to be pretty self explanatory. So much so that Rashi feels compelled to explain them, and not just simply to, to explain them. But Rashi spills a lot of ink. He does this at great length and with many, many details. It would seem that the explanation of what it means to choose life is, is pretty simple. Like other Mephorshim on the on the Psukim of Torah have explained, Hashem is instructing in the fashion of, of, of good advice that you should choose the good portion of life. And how will this happen? So if you have your Chumash in front of you, the next Pasuk explains, it delineates. Pasuk Chav, La'avas Hashem what is the best portion? What is the most excellent uh, aspect of the estate, the plot of the estate? To love Hashem your God, to obey Him, to cling to Him, to cleave to Him. Because He is your life and He is your longevity. To live on the soil, to live on the earth that Hashem has sworn to your forefathers that Hashem swore to your forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to give to them. So there's not a lot of guesswork going on here, okay? So it would seem that it's, it's very, very simple. It's very straightforward. Hashem is saying, choose this, because this is good. And what is this? That you should love Hashem, that you should fear Hashem, etc., etc. Bez. When you learn Rashi's words at face value, it seems, it would seem at first blush that what Rashi is trying to bring across is that the words in the Pasuk are not a command and they're not even good advice that you should choose life. Why? Because it really doesn't make sense to command a person to choose life. Meaning, either way. If 
if a person doesn't recognize that this portion of the estate, that this way of life is chayim, is life, is good, then all you have to do is, uh, <laughs> you know, help them smell the coffee. You have to persuade them. And then they will choose it because people tend to choose what they understand to be the best option. So then commanding them in this direction is, is redundant. It's extraneous. It's not necessary. On the other hand, and if this person is not persuaded that this way of living is life, so what are you going to gain from commanding them choose life when they don't recognize this as life? So in other words, it doesn't make sense that the words of should be a command. You have to try to illuminate the path of the person. You have to try to persuade them. You have to try to teach them, instruct them, but command them. Once they understand that, that this is good, they'll choose it. And if they don't understand, a command is not going to help. So the Rebbe says there must be something else going on here in the Rashi. Ella, So Rashi's coming to tell us that the words of how should we understand this? So Rashi's coming to tell us that what the Ebesh is doing here is instructing and guiding. And, and, and right away, La'alter, immediately after, the Ebeshter follows up, and you see this in his words, etc. That you should love Hashem, you should cleave to Hashem. And through this, he is teaching B'nai Yisrael, and he's showing B'nai Yisrael, you should choose this because this is really life. Because it's not always the case that we are able to see with our eyes, that we're able to discern, that we're able to appreciate that toiv equals chayim. And that ra, that the opposite of toiv equals mavis. And therefore, and therefore you have to kind of orient him and show him what is the correct and the true understanding of Chaim. Like the puzzle continues, So it's not a command. It's a teaching moment. It's, it's, it's the Abish just trying to edify us and, and teach us and instruct us and show us what this is. But command, no, there's no place for command. And so to underscore that this is about teaching, Rashi brings Aleph Moshal. He brings an analogy, like a person that says to his son, because what Rashi wants to tell us through this analogy, of the, the father doesn't satisfy himself by saying simply, choose a good portion. But rather he goes further. 
he places him. He literally takes him by the hand and says, this is the good portion that I really suggest you take. And Rashi doesn't even satisfy himself with that. He brings Raya Minakasov. He brings a supportive text. That the Abish actually does this. And in the words of David Amelach, you placed my hand on the on the on the good lot, and you said, take this. Okay. So again, first the Rebbe asked, what is Rashi trying to do here? It seems pretty simple. In the second Siv, he explains to us what Rashi is trying to um, teach in the, in the most general sense, that this is not a command. This is the Ebeshtah actually taking us by the hand and saying, I'm, I'm more than advising you to choose life. I'm actually going to show you what to do and how to do this. So it's kind of like, you know, maybe you're shopping with somebody, not your daughter, because this would never work in most cases, but you're shopping with somebody who values your opinion. And, um, and you say, well, for your body type, I think this and this would look good. And then you take something off the rack and you say like this, you should try this on. You know what I mean? So Rashi's trying to explain that the Abishu goes all the way and he brings a puzzle. Okay, so the Rebbe gives us his thesis, but he says, but this still would not explain, it still doesn't compute why Rashi engages in such an elongated treatment of these words, and the Rebbe breaks down uh, his questions. First of all, why does he have to bring an analogy? Why doesn't he just give us the analog? That the Abishra literally places us on the good aspect of the estate. And even more, it would seem, in the analog, we get the clear message. In the in the in the in the analogy in in the mushal, it's it's still not clear exactly what Rashi is trying to say. But in the mushal, it's very very clear that David takes the next step and holds up the dress and says, "This this would look good on you." So the nimshal is necessary. That the Abishter and it's and, it's, and 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 it teaches us that it's necessary for the Abishter to actually show us what is Chayim, show us what is life, show us what is Chelikayafa, what is the best part of the estate. Why? Why is this necessary? Because when you look at the goings on of the world, when you look around you, from time to time, and maybe very, very often, it looks like derech rishayim tzleicha, that the way in which rishayim are going is, is very successful. Things seem to be going very well for people who don't necessarily keep Torah mitzvahs. And not only that, and the righteous people actually have a very hard time in this world. Therefore, the Pasuk has to teach us 
at the end, they're going to be pushed away. They're going to be rebuffed by Hashem. And at the end of it all, the way it shakes out, the, the tzaddikim will, will be besimcha. And so therefore, it's not enough for Ebesha to say, choose life. Ebesha has to really place us in that position because it's not just a simple thing. It's not clear and it's not pushed that if you do the right thing, <clears throat> it's all going to work out perfectly. And therefore, they just have to take the next step and, and actually put us on that piece of land. Here, remember, the Rebbe is saying, why does Rashi have to bring down the mushal? Just give us the nimshal. And he says, furthermore, because the mushal could actually almost serve to confuse or obfuscate. Because when you're talking about a child choosing a physical nachala, kal It's much easier to see what is a better plot of land, what is a better portion of the estate, and what is not. You could see if things are growing, you could whatever you could call an expert, you could you could test ground, whatever it is. There are ways of qualifying <clears throat> what's a better plot. And therefore, it should not even be so necessary for the father to actually place his son, show him in very, very clear way what the best plot is. Because if he has any intelligence, he can hire the right people or test the land himself or assess it or whatever you do and discern what's the best plot. But what Rashi should have gone right to is, is, the, is the analog, which is that for us, it's not so simple to choose the right thing, and therefore the Ebesha has to actually place us on the right thing. That's question number one. Why do we need the mushal? Just go straight to the nimshal. After Rashi says that the father places his son on the, on the, on the, on the most excellent part of the estate, Rashi, Rashi says, and the father says to him, this, this you should choose. From this it's understood. After the father says, choose a good portion of my estate and then takes the next state and place, takes the next step and places him on that aspect of the estate, that portion. Rashi is teaching us that still something else is warranted which is amiras So not only does he say, there are three steps here. First, the father says, choose a good portion of my estate. Then the father actually walks the son over to the best portion of the estate and places him on that. And then he says again, this you should choose. The Rebbe says, not understood. Why again doubling back on saying choose this? And Bayes, where do we see this in the Torah that there are these different steps? How does Rashi's, Rashi says, so how does what Rashi does here actually reflect Shutashal Mikra? Gimel, a third question. Rashi, at the end of Rashi, after he gives us this mashal and then then he says, 
on this concept that is said, and he brings the pasuk from Tehillim and Nachta Yodi El Gorel And so the Rebbe has questions. And regarding this concept that is said, perish with de Tehillim. So it seems like Rashi is coming to explain the pasuk of Tehillim. Veloy and Rashi is not engaging in his normal style, which would be to say, as it says. In other words, remember, it seems at first blush that Rashi is using this Pasuk at Tehillim as a proof text to bolster his thesis. He's bringing a citation. So conventionally, normally in his shot, he would say something like, like it says, or something else along those lines. This would mean, that that pasuk that he's bringing down is a proof for how he is explaining the pasuk here. But when he says, it seems more that he's explaining the pasuk of Tehillim. He's explaining what a Davon HaMelech means to Tehillim by referencing the concept here. And Bayes, the second question that Rabbi has on this is, when Rashi says that the father places him on the excellent part of the estate, how does he do this? In the way that David Amelch explains, you place my hand on the good lot. So the Rebbe has two questions on what Rashi is trying to do here with the Pasuk. Aleph, in Yana, shall Rashi lefayit tradition bikra alatar, v'lama hevi v'alzeh nebar b'tehillim. So the first question we've already said, Rashi's style is to explain this Pasuk. Here it seems that he's explaining that Pasuk of Tehillim. And mahu ha-chidosh b'inin hinachta yadi. And what exactly is being added here by the words, you have placed my hand? I mean, what's the difference between placing my hand and ma'amidoi, and, and placing the person on the lot. It would seem to be <coughs> pretty much the same thing. And we know, again, the Rebbe has taught us over and over and over again, Rashi doesn't spill any extra ink, Rashi doesn't engage in, uh, you know, alliterations and, and literary flourishes. Every single word, every single letter, every single expression is by design and extremely, extremely important. And um, and so we're trying to understand what exactly is Rashi doing here. Dalit. Vahabir Bazar. And the Rebbe says, here's the explanation. Now with this Rashi, he's coming to explain a much more um, global question on this Pasuk. And if you have a chumash, it will be very helpful here. Mm-hmm. That which the Torah is, what the Ebesh is telling us in this Pasuk, that I'm placing life and death before you and you should choose life so that you'll be able to live, you and your descendants. And a like fashion Pasuk you should love Hashem, you should listen to his voice because he is your life. So the Rebbe says, Rashi's real focus here is to explain why is this necessary? Why? Because Nehemiah, because exactly this information has already been relayed to us 
ubiproteus, and in detail, le'il bekasuv, right before this. So look at pasuk tezvav <coughs> in this same parak. So just just three psukim earlier, four psukim earlier. Pasuk tezvav reads re'ei nasati lefanecha hayoyim esachayim esatoyim esamavas vesara. So our new pasuk yotes and chaf seems like a replay. You will live and you will flourish. And Hashem will bless you in your land. Imamish seems like Pasukutes is a repetition. And we know that that can't be because that's not what the Torah does. And so that's really <coughs> Rashi's focus here. What is the necessity for these psukim all together? Because we've already gotten all this information. And so now we're on top of page 276, if you're following the Lashon HaKadosh from the, the Sikha that was sent out. And so Rashi's real question is, Why the second HaKafa? Why does the Torah chazar over everything that we've already been told? Therefore, Rashi kind of almost harps on these two words. He identifies these two words of that do not appear in the previous Pesukim. And he underscores that this is really the heart and soul of what, what is being imparted to us. So what's the chiddush here in these words? And for this reason, Rashi brings the mashal. He's teaching us with this, that from time to time, he's teaching us that yes, it's true that the Abisha just said all of this in Pasuk Tezbav and But you know what? Sometimes, even very often, it's not enough that the Abisha says it once. And we know this, right? From parenting or from whatever, relating to other people. It's not enough to say it once. It's not enough to say it to your cleaning lady and write it out. Sometimes you actually have to show her exactly what you mean and this is how you want it done. So let's go to this paragraph now. And so it is in what we're discussing now. Rashi begins by saying, First of all, Abisha says, I'm showing you that I want you to choose life. And so it's a second time that he's telling him after he places him on the good estate, meaning after explaining in Pasuk Tezvav and Tezayin that if you will choose this, this will be Chayim, this will be life, this is inherently, intrinsically good, that's not enough. We still now need the Hayra that you should choose life. 
just saying it once, not enough. See if hey. So what do we find in the analogy? That after you say to your son, take this best part of my estate, you still have to place them on it, move on, it's understood from this, why is this necessary? Because we're not talking about something that is always so discernible. It's not always easy to see on the topical level of perception that this is the chelak hayafa. And therefore, the son must be placed on the chelak hayafa. And here we will see why, so the Rebbe is now explaining why we need the analogy, because remember, first he's asking, why does Rashi need an analogy? And now he's parsing the word livnoi, like a person that says to his child, not to a business associate, not to a friend, not to an acquaintance, but to a child. Why? Because havadaos, the certainty, the beneficiary, the certitude that the son has, that he's actually being given a good chilek, comes from two things. He knows that his father knows what's the best part of the estate. And Bez, and he also knows that because it's his father, that's the nice that's the one that's giving it, he wants the best for his child. And that's why it makes sense that he would give him the best part of his estate. And this certainty in these two aspects, that the, that the father knows what's good and that the father would want to give away what's best is underscored in the words of the analogy. Aleph. We're not talking about a broker. We're talking about somebody, it's his piece of land. It's his estate. It's It's his estate. And therefore, he has experience. So he has clear understanding that this is a good piece of land. And Bez, who noisin is zelivnoi, he's giving it to his child. A parent is ready to give to their child the best part of their estate. And, and so it's exactly the same thing in the analog. In order for us to be able to recognize and know that life and good is correlated with Torah with loving Hashem, fearing Hashem, although to human perception, it's not always so clear, this correlation, we have to be taught to contemplate these two facts. Aleph, ha'olam hu nachalasi. 
that the whole world is Hashem's estate. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the creator and the orchestrator of everything that happens in the world. And therefore he and he alone knows what's the best way to live. And we are Hashem's children. And therefore we can rely and we can be assured that the Abishter seeks only our good. But still in all. But since with our with our human perception, at the end of the day, we don't always see how these dots connect so clearly. And we have to rely on Hashem. Move on, it's understood. So we understand why the benefactor, Hashem, doesn't um, stop and, and, and doesn't satisfy himself with just even placing us on the right chilek. But he adds to this and he urges us. Maybe today we would say he pokes us. He pokes us, Hamakabal, the beneficiary, and he tells us a second time, Take this. And that's the added detail. And even after he places him on this aspect of the estate, he says, choose this. I mean, does this sound familiar, right? We tell our kids, we think you should do this. Then we actually go out and do it for them. And then we say, please take this. If this doesn't sound familiar, then maybe it's just me. I don't know. And, and in like fashion, in what we're discussing, even after the Ibish explains that Chaim and Toiv depend, you know, that Chaim depends on Toiv, and this depends on being connected to the Ebeshter. So this is like the Ebeshter putting us on the place. He still needs to urge us. And he still has to say again, you should choose life in order that you should live, you and your descendants. In order that we should rely on Hashem completely and we should actually choose this living parcel of the estate. Vav, avaladayin efshel hakshes. Delechayra ein hamashul doimelanimshal. Rabbi says, but you could still push back at this because it would seem that the mashal is not really so fitting. That the the analogy is not so fitting for the analog. Why? Because the mashal move on keitzah hazeros ezeh bror lecha mashpia alaben. Because in the analogy, we can understand how the urging of the father impacts the child. On top of the fact that we're talking about a, a physical, material, temporal aspect that the father is urging the child to take. Even if 
because of his younger years or his lack of life experience, he doesn't see how this is actually the best part of the estate. But at the end of the day, if he hears his father, he's taken in by the sincerity of the father's urging and saying, I'm telling you, this is good. You can rely on me. The son does not have absolute information or data about the goodness of the estate of his father. He can't discern what's the best part of the estate. And therefore, if he has some some intelligence, he understands that he has to rely on his father and he's able to be macabre this. He's able to, to, to feel good about this, that his father is giving him the best thing. But in contradistinction in the analog, not only do we not always see how keeping Torah mitzvahs is the chelakayafa, that in that when you're going to do the good, that's mamish going to be life begashmius. And very often we know that that this idea that when we do Torah mitzvahs and we we, we behave in in alignment with the Eibushtas Ratzon, that this is chayim, and sometimes this means an olam haba. But not only this, loidai this eliyaser mizu, but there's more here. Because be'ene basar, because with our perception, not only do we not see the fruition of and the correlation between good and chayim, but sometimes we actually see absolutely the opposite. We see that, that the way of rishayim is, is, is matzliach. And, and this is a pasuk from Mishli. The naifis Titufena sifse zara, the lips of a forbidden woman drip with honey. The the ways that are opposite of Tara seem extremely compelling. So we're able to see how this beautiful woman is beautiful. This we're able to take in, we're able to absorb through our senses. And the fact that the end of the Pasuk says, but at the end, her end is as bitter as wormwood, that we have to believe, that we're not necessarily going to see. Maybe we'll be able to understand it cognitively. We're not going to see it in the same way as you see the beautiful woman, as you're able to experience the taiva, the imkain, and therefore, so how is this poke? How is this urging on the part of the Abishra through Maisha that we should choose life? How is it able How is this really able to impact us that we should leave the beautiful woman, leave the Dvar Magashmiyam? and instead to choose How do we even stand a chance? For this reason, Rashi continues, and he says, 
And on this concept, it says, until him, Hashem minas chalki, Hashem is my chosen lot, the choisi and my cup, you place me on my lot. And he explains, you place my hand on the good uh, lot. Take this. So what is Rashi saying? That the words of you should choose life. It's not just another thing that Hashem is saying. It's not just another expression. Okay, this is this is a clincher here. It's not that David is just saying something. He's actually affecting through this that he guides my lot. You see, it's underscored. The Ebrishta actually places our hand, meaning, Hashem teaches and shows B'nai Yisrael, and look how the Rebbe says in parentheses, not always. The Rebbe doesn't want to promise us a rose garden because he can't, because that's not how life is. But the Rebbe says, but the Abishan is more than just say of in the abstract, in the in the theoretical, and even in the spiritual. But he shows us from time to time, at least from time to time, he shows us how Bagashmi is. Tara misses his Gayal Hataif. Ech Toiv. Through he shows us how through doing the good, Mikabel Ha'adam Chayim Kipshutam, that we should get life. In such a way that it's shy to actually put your hand on it. You could taste it. You could feel it. You could smell it. You could feel it. You could, you could feel it up with your hand. And this validates and it confirms and I think that this is something that we can all relate to, that irrespective of the difficulties and the challenges and, and the ups and downs of life, that there are times where we have this aha moment where like, wow, oh my gosh. Like if I wasn't keeping term, it's just, this is not what my life would look like. I mean, I'm sure I speak for all of us. I have friends in their deep 80s and 90s who are still waiting for grandchildren. That's just one example. And I think it's a huge example. Zion. And now the Rebbe says, we're going to be able to explain a change. Okay, this is the Rebbe again, putting Rashi under the microscope. In the analogy in the Mashal, he says, choose this. The father says to his son, choose this. But in the analog, the parish after after citing the pasuk, Rashi finishes up. Not Okay. In the analogy, he says choose this, but in the analog, he ends up by saying take this. Why? 
After the father urges the son, after he pokes him, after he actually places him physically on the good portion of the estate. This is all bedibor, right? He doesn't fit, it's only like uh, figuratively that this is all the Abish just saying this. And the Bechira itself can only be done by the, by the son. You know, like we say, you could take a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. And therefore, at that point, the father again says, choose this. So first he tells him, you should take this good portion. Then he actually figuratively puts him on it. And then he says, choose this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I skipped up, I skipped a paragraph. Masha in came, but in contradistinction, Okay, this paragraph, I don't know why, I skipped it by mistake. This is, this is where the whole thing turns. The Rebbe is going to go into this at, at much greater length. But the Rebbe is saying that Ubacharta Bachayim is not just the Abisha telling us something, and it's not even him just poking us, and it's not even him just figuratively placing us on the estate, showing us the dress, but Kvar Nivchar. But through these words, this has already been chosen and connected to a Jew. And now the Jew doesn't even have to choose anymore. He just has to take it. And therefore Rashi finishes up this take. Because this is not anymore really a choice. It's not in the realm of choice. I've already connected you to this. It's yours. It's who you are. Just claim it. Just embrace it. Take it. Therefore, the Lashon of Rashi is different in the analog as it is from the, in the analogy. There he says, Brar. At the end, he says, Not like when he starts in the Mashal. Because the main thing has already happened. You've already placed my hand on the girl. You've already connected me to this. There's no backseas. This is just Rashi explaining what happens through the Hanachta Yadi. That when Hashem places your hand on it, it's yours. You don't have to choose anymore. It's yours. Just take it. Ches. So in this shinui, in this change that again nobody would ever have noticed except for the Rebbe, gam inin The Rebbe says this also alludes to an inin in halacha. And in order for you to appreciate this, first I have to preface with another detail. That 
in the Pasuk, David HaMelech uses the word goyrali, my allotment, my lot, to refer to the good portion of the estate, goyril hatoif. And the intention is to hint that the union of us choosing, choosing Torah, choosing mitzvahs, is parallel to the distribution of land through the agency of a lot, a lottery. And this will further elucidate the difference between the analogy where Rashi says, choose for yourself, and in the analog where he says, take To underscore the difference between a person saying to his child, take this, and what David HaMelech is hinting to when he says, Hashem has placed my hand on it. And so now the Reb explains. There are times where Halacha addresses partners who divide their financial holdings, they divide their assets, and they do this through the agency of a lottery. Matsinu, we find, that in accordance with the opinion of a number of Rishonim, the lottery just clarifies what each one will get. But in order for them to actually bring these assets into their ownership, they have to make a Kenyan. The lot itself, the fact that the lottery um, identified what is going to belong to who is not a Kenyan. It's just to clarify how the, the distribution of the assets, but they still have to make a Kenyan. But when Eretz Yisrael was divided, it happened through a lottery and it happened through the Urim Betumim, with divine inspiration, all of the authorities agree, it's unanimous, that the girl was not just to clarify which portion they would get, but it also served as a Kenyan. And so through the girl, that piece of land legally became their acquisition. And the Rebbe says that it's the same thing here. When a person wants to give his child a chilek, what he's doing through this is he's just clarifying for the son that this is a chilek hayafa. And he says to him, choose this. I love you. I wanted to choose the best portion of my estate. But in the nimshal, Amir Zakarish Baruch Bacharta Bachayim, and Hashem says, choose life. It's not just to clarify and elucidate and underscore what is Chayim. Actually, it actually effectuates the acquisition that this Goyal Hatayv, 
that this good portion is already acquired by every Jew. All we have to do is embrace it. All we have to do is take it. Like, like, like David Melch says, you place my hand. I'm sorry, these are not the words of, of David Melch. These Rashi is elucidating what David Melch is saying. You took my hand, you put on the Gairel, and the Rebbe explains, through this I acquire Torah Mitzvahs, and, and through this Abish is saying, just take it. It's yours. Take it. So you might even say, this is like a mother who says, in the store, I think you should try this on. Then takes the dress and says, try it on. Okay. The daughter tries it on. She doesn't like it. Puts it back on the rack. Then the mother goes back to the store, buys it, puts it on the kid's bed and says, it's yours. There's a chance that the kid will try it on. She might even love it. Okay. Tess. Miyena shelter parish Rashi's at. So now the Rebbe is going to take this whole thing and bring it up a whole bunch more notches and, and, and go much deeper. Both of these aforementioned ideas, the idea that this is the best part of my estate and I want you to choose it. And then the second thing, that this is goyal hatoiv, that you have already acquired it. Now just kachlecha, just take it. These present two modalities um, for, in which a, a Jew can choose life. The first way is the first is to do this logically. Hasidus explains that whenever you talk about a chelek, figuratively speaking, this is something that a person chose through tam vadas, through their logic. Okay, so that's That's the first way that you you contemplate it, you, you meditate on it, you assess it, you analyze it, and you choose it. You come to the understanding that this is the chilek ha-taif. And this bechira is, you chose it, hainu. There are two ways, there are two roads. And each one has an advantage on the other. Because if there wasn't an advantage to each one, you can't even call it Bechira. And, and you chose this and you didn't choose the other. That's one way in which we can understand the words of Bacharta Bachai. But there is another modality. But there's another way where the Jew chooses, and it's not because. They made a logical calculation. Ella, he bechira lemaila mitam vadas. It's choosing from a way that transcends logic. Vaazai inin hachayim nikra goyrel hatayv, and then this is called the good lottery, the good allotment. Kiedua bechenu bepastos shegoyrel ene bevchinas das. As we all know, and this is how it is practically. There's nothing logical about a lottery. 
On the contrary, it transcends logic. And so the essence of this choice is really on the level of just take it. This means there really is no other way. There is no other And this is really the truth about us. In other words, for a Jew, there really is no other truth. I mean, yeah, you could go on many other journeys and you could call yourself this and that. And you could stand on your head and spit rusty nickels and you could get baptized and you could become the Archbishop of Canterbury. But in the end, you are Jewish and therefore it's kachlecha. It's, it's really a matter of take it. Yud. And we're going to understand this more deeply based on what's explained in Hasidus. Why is it that when you look around, it seems that the Rishayim are having so much fun, so much success? And, and, you know, we're just trying to do the right thing here. And it's almost, you know, like that well-known, <laughs> you know, no good deed will go unpunished. Like, like why is that? Like, please, like, work with us here. We're just trying to do your work, right? Why? So the Rebbe explains, Hasidus explains why it is that the Hashpaz, Hachayis, Lekripa, Bechal, why is there such a strong effulence that comes to Klipa generally? And it's because he mitzad bechinas makif, because the Hashpaz, the Klipa, comes from a transcendent place. It actually comes from a higher place. Lachin Hashpaz zuhi biribui leloi cheshvan. It comes from a place where it's like untrammeled. It's so intense. There, there's, there's no calculation. Masha'in came a contradistinction. Ha-hashpal likdusha, the effulence from above to holiness, himeha or ha-pnimi. This comes from, not from makif, but from pnimi, from the inner light, from the inner place. And this is a or bechli dafka. This is already a much more limited light and energy has to be channeled into a vessel, a conduit, and therefore it's much more calculated, it's much more thought out, it's much more carefully dispensed. Now, I called my father to discuss this with him because I did not feel like I had a good handle. <laughs> and he said, this is a zeyeshverzach. <laughs> so this is a very difficult thing to explain. Uh, so I'm just going to say a few words, but I, I don't suffer the, the illusion that I'm explaining this properly. And primarily it's because I don't understand this properly. Um, but <clears throat> the way my father said it, he said, like, it's like Taihu and Tikkun. So what's higher? Taihu is higher than Tikkun. But what's the ultimate kavana? The ultimate kavana is tikkun. But if tikkun would be discernibly higher than taihu, where would there be the bechira? So if derech tzadikim tzlecha, you know, if everybody, Chani um, Shemtov saying that this is a very interesting connection to living Torah this week about difficulty and accomplishment. So if you haven't seen the living Torah this week, check it out. Um, and maybe Hani, you want to mute yourself and you just want to say a few words about it. Well, so basically it's the idea that, that um, in order for there 
to be Bechira. It can't be that you do the right thing and you know your donors just line up at your door and say, please, please take my money, please, because I want to be part of your amazing project. I mean, that would just be too easy. Um, <clears throat> that would be how it works in Tikkun. In Toihu, you have, you know, so like we know the famous thing in Hasidus that in Tikkun we have less light and, and a riboy of vessels. And in Toihu, there's a propensity, preponderance of light and not enough vessels. So that's what we're suffering from. You know, we have vessels, we don't have enough light. We have builds and we have projects and we have ideas and we have hands and we're holding them out like this. <laughs> we just need the R to come. And in Mitzvah Shem, it will come. And we've seen that it comes. And, and especially now we're seeing that the airs are coming in ways that they have not come for many, many years. But, but still, it would be nice if it was a little more clear. Hani, give us a few words from the Living Torah. <clears throat> I, I'm just, I, I the Re- it was just very interesting. The Rebbe was saying how, um, you know, the famous story with the man, I forgot his name. I'm sorry if someone remembers where he said that he did this uh, of the Rebbe and he came back and he said it was so difficult. And even his life was in jeopardy as a result. And the Rebbe says, since when do you sign a contract with the Rabbi Shalaylam that it will be easy? And, and basically the living terror was about, the Rebbe was talking about how everything worthwhile comes with great effort and nothing worthwhile can come without the intense effort that was required. It just, I just thought it was very interesting in context of the Secha. Yeah. There's also a letter where the Rebbe writes to somebody who had a lot of sad gidel banim and, you know, nobody, nobody emerges unscathed on that, on that score. It's just a, a matter of gradation, we, we hope, and we, we dive in, right? And the Rebbe says, you know, it's much easier to grow potatoes. <laughs> potatoes are really easy to grow. It takes very little effort. But if you want to grow beautiful, delicate fruit, that takes a lot of effort. The Rebbe said, and that takes a lot of time. You need a lot of patience. <clears throat> okay. Um, so back here. So look how beautiful this is. Mamish made me cry. Like, Look at the great Maila B'nai Yisrael, that although and it's so much easier to see how that it would seem sometimes is a better life, an easier life. But look what they should has such wonderful children that what do they choose? The Kedusha. They choose the holiness. They are mevater. They, they, they look away from the greatness of the hashpa that comes to Klippa. They choose the very streamlined, constrained, and constricted hashpa that comes in the Tzad HaKadusha. And why indeed, why in fact do we do this? So to understand this, there are two ways of understanding it. One way is to make a logical cheshbon, right? You see, the Rebbe is going back to what he did in, in Seif Tess, right? He's saying that there's two ways to b'charta b'chayim. Now he's deepening it and he's saying there's two ways to understand why B'nai Yisrael choose Kedusha. One is to make a cost-benefit analysis and say that, yes, but it's only temporary, and then it stops. 
On the other hand, on the other hand, that comes with tzaddikim, at the end, it's going to be very intense. Kim Maimer, like it says, and it's brought down in, 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 in the Gemara, in the Darim, if this is what those who trespass Hashem's will get, so imagine how much more so to those who do as well. And this would be a logical way to choose Kedusha. You come to the conclusion that it's Kedailach, that it's, that it's worth it. This is what Rashi alludes to in the first part of Rashi. This is Kedailach, you could make a cost-benefit analysis, therefore you should choose it. Bays or the other modalities, because the very constrained and constricted hashba to kedusha comes from the rotten elyon, it's the innermost aspect of Hashem's desire. I'm not pronouncing this correctly. It means that in the manner of one who unwillingly throws something over her shoulder, but I did not pronounce that properly. He, uh, he, he chooses Kedusha because it's the Ratzin Elyein, not like the Klippa, which the Ebesha throws over his shoulder like, uh, like you would give a tuna fish sandwich stone you don't care that much about. Hainu, we understand this means that the hashpa, the affluence that comes from Kedusha is like in the is like in the light of the king's face, there is li- there is life. We're looking at the Abish's face, it's upon him upon him. And in the light of Hashem's face, that's where there is life. Although it's constricted and constrained, but still the Jew chooses this because this is much more endearing and precious to him than the ribui that's in klipa. Okay, what would you rather have, one gourmet meal or 65,000 tuna sandwiches thrown over the shoulder? But this bechira is, is not al pichesman. Transcends, transcends reason. Vinyanahu harotzein be'etzem be'elokush shamitzad bechinas goyrel shebineshama. This is what the Jew is choosing because this was already given to him by lottery. We're already connected to this. This is who we are. And on this level, there's no, you can't say that there's a choice. Because on this level of the neshama, there are no tuna fish sandwiches on this gourmet island, you know, in this Pesach program. It's not there. On this level of the neshama, there's no junk. So it's not a choice. There's just There was already this Kenyan through the fact that the lottery was thrown. All you have to do is take it. Meaning, all he has to do is draw it down in an innermost way. No big deal. No big pressure. You just have to bring it down in Machshava Dibor Amaisa. 
but essentially it's yours. Yud Aleph. Ba'afal became Neamar because of Hachayim Bahamabes Nasati Lefanecha Uvacharta Bahayim Goimer. Nevertheless, the Pasuk says, this Pasuk, the penultimate Pasuk in our Parsha, choose life, the life and the death I have given before you. And this refers to the way in which we choose between Chaim and Mavis. And, and this is what we understand further from this specificity of Rashi saying, we're, we're, we're now circling back to answer a question that the Rebbe asked before this unusual Lashon of Rashi, rather than saying, that this Indian, the double milk talks about that you Hashem placed my hand on the good Latman, this is not a perish on the words of This is not a definition of choose life, it's that choosing life also contains and includes this. And this second aspect of what the words of Bacharta Bachayim mean is only found uh, is only found very uh, in open and manifest way somewhere else. And that is in Tehillim. An explanation. In this concept of choosing between life and death and I want you to choose life, says Ebeshter. In this idea that we have freedom of choice, in this yesh beis in yanim. Okay. So the Rebbe in Sif Tess gave us two modalities. Then in Sif Yud, he deepened the two modalities. And now he's going to deepen them further. And he's going to say that in the words of Bacharta Bachayim are included two things. In Bechira, there are two levels of Bechira. Vahabir Bazar. Aleph, there's the Shayr Sha'inin de Bechiras Ish Yisrael. There's the root, there's the potential, there's the capacity for a Jew to choose, Be'elokos in Galenis. And this is Mitzadzesh And that's because our, the essence, our essence is one with Hashem. It's one, Kavyachal Asmos. It's one with, with the essence of Hashem. So this is so, where's the freedom in the choice? Although it's not possible to even posit that the Etzim HaNeshama will choose anything but Elokos. So where's the Bechira? It's because there's still nothing that forces it. The, the freedom comes from the fact that there's no tam. There's no reason for choosing this. There's no myla. There's no advantage. Because if it would come because he chooses it because of some reason or because of some advantage, Azai, there would be two problems. Aleph, if you would choose it because there's a reason, 
then your choice would be limited based on the reason that you came to Lafia depending on how great the advantage is. And if you chose it because it has an advantage, at a certain point, you might decide that the advantage is not great enough for you to continue in this path. And Bayes, the other drawback of, of, of choosing something because you're forced based on your intellect and based on the advantages is that then that's really not true choice. It's almost like you're forced to do this because of um, the advantage and the reason. One second, I want to read something gorgeous to you. Um, Mamish, an unbelievable, beautiful um, poem about exactly this idea. I should have thought about it earlier. Um, I don't think it's published yet, but I think our good friend Yeshua November will not be upset that I just try to find it very, very quickly. But it, it's just brilliant. How is it not, how is it Bechirachavshis if it's because the etim of Yonashama is like driven to it now? How oh, do you wait, have- Wait, 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 we're getting there. Well, first, the Rebbe wants to explain, that's his question. Ah, the, 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 um, the poem is called The Infinitely Tall Rabbi Once Again Begins His Lecture on Free Will. Imagine two cups of tea sit on a table, one simple plain, the other the scent of honey and lemons. If you choose the scented cup, your choice is not likely a free one. Something outside yourself, sweetness of honey, freshness of lemons compels your hand. Anyone who knows you could predict your decision. Or better said, you are a prisoner to your predilection for sweets and citrus fruit. So too, when a choice bends to the practical, you marry the medical resident and not the rabbinical student. The secret ambassador of reason has likely had his way with you. The same holds true, of course, evaluating spiritual life, you choose the future rabbi over the resident. Both decisions hang on a benefit or reason and as such are not free choices. Let's say, however, you desire something you cannot explain to yourself or anyone else, something you could just as well do without. Not thirsty one morning, you wake and decide you would like a plain cup of tea. Perhaps this decision comes from the space of intuition that hovers unchained above the regions of reason and emotion, a free space, simple and undefined, a clean field of snow. Um, so, I think he has other poems where he uh, talks on the same theme. Ultimately, we know that only the Abishta has Bechira Chavshis, because only the Abishta is not impacted by anything outside, by anything other. So now, so, so now to answer the question, Hani, look at the next paragraph. So because it's only and there's no time here, there's no myla, there's no advantages, there's no cost-benefit analysis. So it's a Bechira in which everything outside of Elokos is completely obviated. It's completely taken out of the equation. 
And I could see by the way you're wrinkling your forehead that you want to say, so you've just underscored my question, you haven't answered it. Um, but, but, but the point is that this is not a level that we are in touch with. And therefore, our Bechira Chavsha still remains intact. Because this is something that happens on the level of Etzem Haneshama, I mean, uh, it's in us, but we're not living in it, let's just say. And so it's, 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 a, it's a different kind of Bechira. But that's just the Shairish. That's just the Shairish. Then there has to be the Gilui HaBechira. How does this shake out in the Gilui? The Bechira has to be funneled through the agency of our cognition. When do you recognize that a Jew choosing God is through his freedom of choice? When he's at a crossroads, and, and practically speaking, there are two roads before him. And he chooses the Chayim. This is only something that Shayach to Seichel, because it's only in Seichel that you can see the advantages in both roads. And notwithstanding the advantages that are winking at you in the other road, you choose the road of Chayim. And that's why Hashem says, I put life and death before you and you should choose life. In other words, who's going to choose death? <laughs> what, 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 kind of, what kind of choice is this? You want to say you put in front of me uh, salmon and bass? Okay, but you're putting in front of me life and death, this is a choice? But because, yes, we have to figure this out. This is a choice. Because as Rebbe already said so clearly, it's not so simple that it looks so compelling or that it even seems to be the Derech HaChayim. But Rashi, which includes the wine, the deepest part of the grape, Rashi, bringing this pasuk from Tehillim, reveals for us the deeper understanding, a level of Bacharta Bachayim. And that's where he brings down, that even when we're doing it through our Tam Vidas, as we must because we are human beings, it's still propelled by the Shairish. And the Shairish is the Indian of Goyal Shabin Hashama, the Etzem Hanashama. So you see what the Rebbe did in this if he divided it between Shairish and Gilu. And he says, and Rashi hints to this by bringing the Pasuk, which would otherwise seem to be extraneous because Rashi can make a very good case for this idea without bringing the Pasuk from Tehillim. But in the Yena Shel Rashi wants to say that even when we choose it al Pitan Badas, it's already compelled by the idea that it's our Goira. And really it's on the level already of Kach Lecha. 
היא גם כן הבכיר דבחינס גורל שבנשמה עצם הנשמה בלקוס, השוללס בתכלס מובס ורע. And that part of us completely rebuffs and negates and, and obviates mavis and ra. The only thing that the Jew has to do is just take it. And the Rebbe finishes off as if you'd base al pikola nal tuvan gam shaychas inin nal leparshas nitzavim. And based on all this, we'll understand how this is so connected to Parshas Nitzavim, which is the Parsha Shekoyin Lo'elam Kaidim Rosh Hashanah. This is the Parsha that we always read before Rosh Hashanah. The Chivan Shakol Halach Achar Chitom. And because the Gemara teaches us that everything is judged or based on the end, move on is understood. Shashaychas Parsha Nitzavim Rosh Hashanah ain't a rock bascal as a Parsha, which is Atta Nitzavim Hayayim Kulchem Bishayiv Mimechale Chaytev Itzecha. It's not just that, that, that the beginning of the Parsha is connected to Rosh Hashanah, how we all stand before Hashem, which is what's going to happen to us in Rosh Hashanah, Elagam Besiyim Parsha. But the very end of the Parsha holds a theme that is so, so seminal to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah who has man sheboy onu ma'erim es hakadosh baruch hu lifchor bevnei Yisrael. Rosh Hashanah is all about arousing Hashem's desire to choose us beratzay. Kefisha erim umavakshim kaidem hatkiyos, like we ask, like we say, and we beg before tkiyos. We say yifchar lanu es nachalasenu es goyin Yaakov asher ahav sela. He will choose our heritage for us, the pride of Yaakov, whom he loves forever. And in Hashem choosing us, there are two modalities. There's the source, the antecedent. There's the fact that Hashem chose us for no apparent reason, not because we have longer noses and not because we have higher sat scores, not because we have larger states in the Hamptons. David Shah got up in the morning, was not thirsty, and just wanted plain tea. And from this perspective, on this level, from the Shayrish, I can't change it with another Umma, I can't change it with another nation. There's no possibility. Yisrael and Hashem, we are, we are one. We are alone. We are in the Yichud room. Nobody else. There's no space for anybody else. But then there's the Gilui Habchira Lamata. And that is Lamata, just like we still have to choose Lamata. So Lamata in this world, Kav Yochel, there are other Amim. There are other nations. There would be other options. There are others with you. And, 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 and nevertheless, they are in my eyes and they are before me like nothing at all. And therefore, your love that I have for you is recognizable. It's manifest. It's evident because there are other nations. And you know what? Maybe the other nations would be easier to handle than Jews. Maybe they would be less difficult. <laughs> you know uh, what uh, 
somebody once said to, to Golda Meir that she's, uh, that she's a prime minister over, what's the big deal? It's, it's such a small country. She says, yeah, but I'm a prime minister over a country of prime ministers. So, you know, um, we're not such a simple people, but the Abishta chose us. Abishta wanted plenty. And because of Rosh Hashanah, everything comes back. Everything gets reset. Everything gets reset to the beginning. We have to effectuate and we have to draw down that Hashem should choose us from his source, from his um, from, 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 from the roots from the deepest essence, and this happens in reciprocity to our work, that we work with ourselves to a that we should choose life. We should choose it not only because it makes sense, and not only because we could, you know, make a cost-benefit analysis and the pros outweigh the cons, but because we recognize that this is our goyra, we're in. <laughs> There's no way out, really. This is who we are on the Etzim HaNeshama. And through this, the Bnei Yisrael reveal within themselves that we chose Hashem to be our God. It arouses and it reveals the concept that Hashem chose us to be his beloved nation. This should all be and it should be in a way that we could see it, we could see the good, it should be revealed, it should be seen, we should be able to taste it and smell it and feel it and, and measure it and, and say, Die, it's so much. It's you're overwhelming us with your goodness. So um just want to wish everybody a Ksivach Simateva, a Shanateva, Masuka, a good gibenchdiar. It should all be Bitaiv, Hanirva, Hanigal, it should be a Shnas Pidus, a Shnas Gaul already. And um we should already be able to hear the Tarikhadasha from 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 the Rebbe, and we will be that much more prepared for having immersed ourselves in his Tara. In, in the present day. Um, anybody want to say anything, please unmute yourself. It's, it's, this is the Fabrengen time. I, I actually, uh, Amen, Rifki, thank you so much. Um, I have a question. So why is it called, sorry, I know it's late, but um, if at the end of the day, the Neshama and the Etzim has this, um, has this, this, um, has this netia to 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 chayim. So why even call it bechira? Right. So 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 that's an excellent question. But let's zoom out. I mean, th this is the quintessential question that comes up any time right. talk to right. people right. on 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 the level of philosophy, right? Which right. is, if God already knows everything that's going to happen, is there really place for bechira? It would seem there's God knowing what's going to happen here. We're saying that no, no, no. said that it's the same thing. It's, a, it's really the same question. It's the macro and the micro, right? It's really the same question. If you already have an AT in yourself to do good, where's the choice? If the Abish already knows what you're going to do, where's the choice? The answer is the same in both. 
because we are disconnected from the Abishta's knowledge. It doesn't impact our choice. And, and, and um, the truth is that there's just a lot of stuff between our Esam Hanishama and our day-to-day choices. <laughs> Let's be real. Um, and so therefore it leaves us with a field wide open to make all kinds of choices. So I mean, we see that we're not necessarily compelled, let's say, all the time by our Etzim Hanishama. So I see it as on one level on the physical plane, we do have Bechira. Like you said, we, I can choose whether I'm going to wear this or I'm going to wear that or, you know, I'm going to eat this or I'm going to eat that. But really, ultimately, on a spiritual plane, the chutzis part of it, it's like you said it, Rifki, the only being that has a real bechir chutzis is the Abish. Right, right, like, right, right, right. But you know, we're coming to the Yemen Tevim. So the Yemen Tevim means that Simchas Taira is coming. And Simchas Taira is the, um, I believe, is at least it's close to the yard side of Daniel Pearl. Okay, so you take... Daniel Pearl as exhibit A, right? So here you have a Jew who considered himself to be a universalist, married to a non-Jewish woman, was not affiliated in any discernible way. And, and yet, right before they behead him, he, he, he says words that can only bring more trouble upon him. He says, I am a Jew. My mother was a Jew. My father was a Jew. He goes on to say that his grandfather was instrumental in founding an important city in Israel and so on and so forth. In other words, where does that come from? Right. That comes from the Etzim HaNeshama. And on that level, there was no Bechira. I truly believe that Daniel Pearl had no, he had no control over what, 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 what fell out of his mouth in that moment. I mean, you would think he would have said goodbye to his wife, his children, he would have told them how much he loved them. He would have, he would have upheld uh, the, the values and ideals of democracy, uh, which were his life's work. And that was why he was traveling to that part of the world in the first place, because he really believed he could bridge the gap between the West and the East and all this stuff. You would have thought he would have referenced any of that. And instead, he makes the most counterintuitive declaration. It's like there's, there's no of, in that in that place. It's like with Miriam Basvilda. And when the Rebbe was crying by that sicha about how ultimately there is, you know, the connection can't break. And she she cried for the Yiddin. Yeah, but yeah. I still don't understand. But okay, let's just leave it. That why it's called bechira chafshis because to say words that in the deep sense it's really not. So it's it's you, you understand it doesn't yes, it doesn't rachi, pan out. But rachi, but rachi, for all intents and purposes, our life presents us with free choices as human beings. Options. Now it's true uh, when we learn more and more chasidus. You know, you have the, the infinitely tall rabbi that, that gives you you, you begin to learn that there is really no but let's not forget how privileged we are to understand things on this level. But most people get up in the morning, you understand you have choices. You could go to the gym, you, know, you won't go to the gym. You know, you could eat something more fattening, you could eat something less fattening. <laughs> you, could, you could go to the book club or not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like to say that, I mean, and that's really what distinguishes the human being from all other strata of creation. Exactly. We have agency, we have choice. I mean, other, if there really was, I mean, if the Etam and Hashem was so obvious, I wish I could say that everyone was running, even exactly. on Rakhine. 
that to show even when the right. Ottoman right. is shining let's yeah. be honest uh, right. many 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 Jews we know are not even thinking of right. this, this is a level that is if, so if I have a second I want to say I want to say something when I when I explain to yeah, and people, Esther I see you want to say something I'm going to recognize a gentlewoman from Kansas in a moment um, you're okay, exactly, this, you're I think it's a gentle lady I think oh, they're saying yeah um, is it no, oh, so like we okay, th- it doesn't matter. I, I was gonna just give an example. Let's say when we say that that um, women are not uh, so you give an example. So I say that you know Hashem is not going to give um, demand from people something um, when fifty percent of the population, at least fifty percent, cannot always do it. Like there's a sechel to it, and therefore we cannot. You understand? So here we are saying that you have Kirchhoffshis, but you don't really have Kirchhoffshis. So why say that you do? Because it's- can I try? Can I try something? Yeah, Esther. The example that you gave Pearl is an excellent example. Anya explains to us that the Nefesh Elokit rests in our Kayachma, in our Chachma. And it's asleep until it comes to Mesiras Nefesh, then it wakes up. As long as the Nefesh Elokis is asleep, it is really Bechira. It's Bechira. You have a Nefesh, you have a Yetzirah, and you have a Yetzirah and nobody's stopping you. It's not free of consequences. It's not free of connection. Your child decides to do something that is totally against your way of life. The connection is usually there. It's a little different because they have more free will than you. But what if you're controlling the money? What if you're, it's not a good, it's not a good example. But it, it's, there is hierarchies in, in this world. If you're looking for no consequences, that's a different thing. If you're looking that when it comes to, um, you know, uh, when a person's life is put into, when you have to give your life to Kiddush Hashem, and that should also be Hafshis. That is just hugely, unbelievably hard to expect of us. But that we choose in our everyday life to do the Abishta's will when it doesn't look like it's always good, that is a Bechira, that most, that many people aren't choosing it. So it's on the level of Bechira of us here. I, the Abishta, knows, but again, the Nefesh kiss rests in your Chachma. It's asleep, and it is our role to wake it up. And that's what Tanya tells us. As long as it's asleep, and it could be awake for one thing, asleep for another, it's, it's an element of Bechira Choshis. But then once you woke it up, you don't have any more Bechira because then you, you woke up your etzen. Rachi, it's so not simple. In other words, this, this, this level of atzmos, I've explained to many, many sikhs, we're, we're so removed from it. And that's why the fact that the Abish knows what we're going to do does not affect our choices at all. That I don't have a problem with. So it's okay. the same Indian. It's the same Indian from two different directions. Exactly the same Indian. Listen, the, the Indian of Bechira Chavshis is, is something that needs to be discussed at great weight length. Right, but like even, the the intu- even you use the word Rifki, intuition to have the simple T. So where's the intuition come from? So that's, uh, it's not for this place and time now. So let's just let, let it rest. I, I'll, I'll also say that, you know, when we talk to people about we have to explain that freedom of choice doesn't mean you have untrammeled, infinite choices. Really, it's freedom from among the choices that Abish should place in front of you. Okay. 
So, you know what I mean? It, it, it has to be nuanced. This is a discussion that, that requires nuance and, and uh, continued discussion. But um, thank you, Esther. That was I helpful. Think that's right. Sorry? I, I, I noticed something, and maybe I'm like totally off over here, but I was wondering, I, I noticed where it was talking about Chalek, and it seemed like, if I understood correctly, that Chalek was about we, 